Hello and welcome to this IBR Extra, a podcast from the Iowa Business Report. I'm Jeff Stein. In the 32nd edition of our program, which aired during the second weekend of August 2020, we examined the downfalls of working remotely from a communication standpoint, downfalls that could adversely affect a business's ability to complete projects appropriately. Clint Paget is the president and CEO of Project Success Incorporated. He spoke to me via Zoom on Tuesday, July 28th. Communication is so important. We are at an era where we have so many different ways to communicate, and I would say we're doing it worse and worse all the time. So in this era where so many people are working remotely or connecting remotely, what's the danger? What are we losing? It's really it's it's really about human nature, to be honest. And even when we're working all together in the same office, if you think back to six months ago, it seems like longer than that, but it's not. And People had a tendency, even within the same walls, to not walk down the hallway and ask you a question. What they would do instead is shoot you an email, send you a text. You know, maybe maybe if they did call you, they really hoped you didn't pick up so they could leave a voicemail. I mean, how many times have you heard, I didn't expect you to answer, right? And the problem we have with that is that's that's not really having a conversation. And what you want is to have a conversation. What we're doing in that first example was really communicating. Well, what, what remote learning or what remote work does is actually exacerbates that. It makes us even more siloed because now I can't walk down the hallway. It's not even a decision that I can make. And so I'm, I'm going to fall back into my comfort zone of shooting a text message, sending an email, and not really having those intimate conversations that we need to clarify. And there is a big difference between I have a very quick question that has a very simple, direct answer and something that could give us more context. And you know there is, and you mentioned it a moment ago, communication is not in any way the same as having a conversation. Flesh that out, please. Well, you know, I was I was really research, doing some research for a project, and it turns out that in my decades of living on this planet, I had the wrong definition in my mind about what communication is. I thought what you and I are doing right now is communicating, and that's actually not technically true. If you look at the definition, communication could be a one-way flow of information. So communication can happen through a text message. It can happen through an email. It can happen through uh, posting on something like a JIRA or a Slack tool. Whereas a conversation, by definition, is the oral exchange of information ideas. All right. So that's a, whole, that's a much more powerful thing, is that we have this exchange of information. And I think the, the example I like to use in this case is think back when you were a kid. I'm sure at some point we've all played that game called telephone where there were five of you lined up and you whisper in each person's ear, right? And they're supposed to whisper to the next person. Well, what you, of course, observed when you tried that experiment was what came out of person number five's mouth was not remotely close to the, the secret that got whispered in person number one's ear. And yet what, he, what we were doing is actually communicating one to the next to the next. Well, if you want the message that comes out of the person number five to be the same as what got whispered to person number one, you need to have a conversation. And what we do there is each person gets to look back at the telling person and go, hey, wait a minute. Well, I don't recognize that word. What do you mean by that? You say you want to go left. You mean go left at the next intersection or go left at the next stoplight? And you're able to ask these clarifying converse, uh, questions during this conversation. So then the actual message that gets passed to each individual person is the same. During my time teaching journalism students, and I found it with the younger students as time went on, they were 
so used to using things like text or email that when they would want to set up an interview with someone, they would simply submit a list of questions. And the problem with that, to me, is you don't know what your next question should be until you know what their last answer was. And all they were doing in that respect is data gathering without context. Is that the same thing that's happening to us in this distant remote workplace? I think it's a part of it. I really do. And I think that one of the one of the issues we've always have in, in business world is does does the message that I send really get received in the, in the same way that I sent it? And what we have to remember is there's been research around this. What you say and what I hear can be two very different things because I'm going to hear what you tell me through my own bias, through my own life experiences, through my own my own attitude today. Am I having a bad day or a good day? And if it's just as a one-way communication, that's fraught with issues. But if I can, if I can ask you a follow-up question, or even if we have face-to-face communications versus text, I can see that you're not understanding what I'm saying, or I can visually see that, you know, you you fold your arms. I can't see that over a phone call or a text, right? And I think that I have this this great graphic that I wish I could share with you. But I have this idea that we have come full circle as a civilization. And as a former journalism professor, I think you'll appreciate some of this. And what prompted this idea was I was walking down the, hall, down the street in Chicago and I saw a group of younger people, which clearly I'm not in that group, were all facing each other in a circle, busily tapping away on their smart devices, their phones. Yet nobody was making eye contact. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe they're having a conversation with each other. And I just can't see it. And so then I thought to myself, you know, we've come full circle. You think back to the dawn of time. If I wanted to communicate to you, hey, let's go get dinner. What I would do is draw the woolly mammoth on the wall with a piece of chalk, draw some spears, point outside and grunt, uh, uh, meaning let's go get dinner. And then, of course, we had spoken word. And the spoken word for eons, the elders in the organization would pass down stories to the younger generation around the campfire. And that's how we communicated information to the next generation. And then, of course, we got written word and we got these massive tomes that are written. I think when I did the research on this particular piece, I want to say the biggest one was 3.2 million words. And then, of course, the email came out when the Internet became prevalent. That really shrank the text you know, amount. Then, of course, text messages came out. If you can't say it 140 characters, you can't say it. And to make matters even worse, emojis came out from Japan about the same time. And now we start doing smiley faces and thumbs up. And I find myself full circle where if I, I'm back to grunting as I keep tap on a keyboard and communicating that way, and that's not really communicating. And to the broader point, now we're back to those cave pictures, right? I'm looking now for the woolly mammoth icon or emoji so I can send it. How did you get interested in this whole dynamic of interpersonal communication? It's obviously something you've studied at some length. What what triggered that? It's actually a PhD in, in, in real life. So it's a unique background. My father was a serial entrepreneur. I grew up in a small town in rural South Carolina. And he started business after business after business. And I was forced from a very early age to learn how to interact with people, which was, you know, taking the groceries out to the car, sweeping the floor, picking up trash, whatever those things were. Since I've been about eight years old, I've been doing those things in my, my dad's various enterprises. My mind actually is I'm a, I'm a trained engineer. I'm an electrical engineer from Georgia Tech. Uh, so my mind is very math-based. But what I found was 
people really, I really resonate with people. I love people. I love to, you know, I'm a hugger in life. I'm a, I'm a shaker of hands. This whole coronavirus thing, frankly, is killing me, right? Because I feel like I need to be part of a tribe and this isolation is not where I'm most comfortable. And what I found was, is I gravitated more into project management for my job. I found myself finding more and more that what was made people successful or made projects successful was the interpersonal relationships we established with each other. And that really drove the two things I think that drove more success in projects were the clarity of message and the relationships we established with the other people on our team. And that's what kind of drove me to this. So that leads me then to the next question, which is, all right, let's assume that many of us are going to be remote for a while. And I'll share with the audience, you and I are connected by Zoom, so I can see you. We're having what I would say is a better conversation than if we were on the phone, because I might, you wouldn't know, if we're just on the phone, I might be checking email, I might be having a second conversation with someone in the hallway. This is much better because you know I'm staring at the camera and and you're doing the same thing. But let's say we're going to have a unique new world order for at least some period of time. So maybe people in a company have the relationships you just mentioned. How can they use that experience to overcome the deficits in simple written communication from distant locations? I think you have to be clear. You have to be concise in what you want. And that's going to probably conflict with your already a busy person. So you want to shoot out the fewest amount of characters possible, just assuming that everybody else will understand what you meant because it's clear to you. And that's a problem. So I think you have to be maybe a little more verbose, take a little more time than you traditionally would. But I'd also say, don't be afraid to follow up that email with a phone call. Just a quick phone call says, hey, I'm really busy. Don't have time for, you know, 20 minutes, but can you just, does this make sense to you? Is this what you wanted? And I think, again, I'm going to talk about human nature for a minute. As human beings, we have this burning desire to want to check something off of our to-do list. That's what, our, that's what I, want to, I want to leave today with fewer things on my to-do list than I started it with. Well, you know what the easiest way to check something off your to-do list is not solicit feedback. If I can send you an email or shoot you a text message saying it's done and hope you never talk to me again, hey, it's off my plate. It's over the fence. Now it's somebody else's problem. But if I force myself to pick up the phone and say, hey, did, you, did that email make sense to you? Is that what you were looking for? What I'm afraid I'm going to get back is, no, Clint, that's not what I wanted. And I'll leave the room, leave that, that, the call with five more things on my to-do list, which is not what I want. And so I think in today's world, when you're having to work remotely, you have to force yourself to be more proactive and more, um, instead of reactive, be more proactive and force yourself to have these conversations that you might not want to normally have. And I wonder, to take it to another level, I have found that with fewer people in our building, and as I've shared with the audience, I've been here every day. We've sent other people home, salespeople, et cetera, who can work more remotely. I can do this remotely, but it's better in this setting. But with fewer people around, I find myself to be more efficient. Well, that's great. But I wonder what we may be losing long term without in people call it the water cooler, although I don't know that any office has one of those anymore. Is there some merit to picking up the phone and calling without a follow-up. In other words, you're not calling to see if this person understood what was on my list. I'm just calling to see as a human being how you are. Yeah, you know, you're preaching to the choir here because people matter. That, that's one of my core tenets is people matter. It doesn't matter your job title. doesn't matter your salary. 
people matter. We all do a job. We all want to be respected and appreciated. And I, I think it's important that we do have those conversations because what ends up happening to those of us who uh, I'll talk from a project perspective, but this applies in an organization where teams matter. You think about, so we, we work on some global projects. For instance, we, we planned the Olympics for one of the major sponsors of the Olympics. We planned that, that sponsor's activation around the Olympic Games. And these are massive multi-year projects that we plan for them. Yet we find it so powerful if you get the people together face to face at the very beginning to build those relationships that the rest of it could be done remotely and virtually as long as you establish those relationships up front. Even if it's just two days together, that doesn't seem like a long time. But think about that. If you spend two days together in a room, that's two continental breakfasts because they're going to have that if they flew everybody in. That's two lunches. That's at least six coffee breaks and one team dinner where organic conversation got to develop that does not happen over Zoom or over a phone call unless you're proactive. So if I'm going to spend two days with you on the way to get coffee, I'm going to say, hey, so tell me, oh, you're from Iowa. That's really great. Well, I grew up in rural South Carolina. Let's compare notes. What was it like? Did you grow up on a farm? I grew up on a farm. That's fantastic. You've got two kids. I've got two kids. What do they play? What are their interests? And what that's going to do is turn this person that I only know as an email address into a living, breathing human being that I now feel a connection to. And I can leverage that connection for the rest of the project. So what that, to answer your, this long answer to your short question, but it is if you are going to be remote, then it does make perfect sense. And I had this question earlier. Somebody asked me, what if I'm new to the organization and I haven't had a chance to be face-to-face and that's not going to be for the next at least foreseeable future? Then I think you hit it right on the head. Pick up the phones or actually ideally schedule a Zoom call so I do get the face-to-face and I get to put a name with a face and just say, hey, I just need 10 minutes of your time. New to the organization. Just want to get to know a little bit about who you are. Introduce myself. And that's it. There's no there's no hidden agenda. It's just I want to establish a connection. And especially for those who are new, that's important. But even if you're in a workplace, new people come in and everybody's masked up. You don't get to see the person. And so it it's almost better to have the Zoom to some degree because you at least, I mean, I can see what you look like. I don't have to guess behind a mask. Oh, 100% agree, 100%. And that's actually, I read an article by a fast company. I won't say the name of the company because I can't remember who it was, but one of the major real estate companies has designed what they call a six feet office. And they put it in their Amsterdam headquarters. And they actually have all the furniture arranged so that nobody ever gets within six feet of anybody else, including to the extent they actually have circles on the carpet. So you know when you're within somebody's six foot space. And I know that I'm a touchy feely guy and maybe that's why it does it bothers me so much. But I thought, is that the world that I really want to go back to where I only look at other other individuals as germ carrying pathogens and not as a human being, Joe, Frank, Jill, Bob? No, I, I want to be able to get closer than the six feet to you. And if that's the world, then I think you're spot on. We should just do it through Zoom because Zoom, then I can see you smile. I can see your your facial expressions more than, you know, six feet away with a mask on. Now, it may surprise some people, given what I do for a living, but I'm talking into a microphone in a room by myself. So when you say go up at a conference and as you're getting coffee, you engage in conversation, I'm the guy who's averting everybody else's gaze, hoping that I'll be left alone. I just want my coffee. Don't engage me. I'll sit over here by myself. So I'm the worst example of what you said should be done. So tell me what someone like me who kind of likes this little sequestration thing 
what's the best thing for me to try to engage so that then I can be a better team member? Because again, we're talking from a business standpoint here. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to Allison Woodbrooks, who is a PhD, or a, she's a she has a, she's a doctor at Harvard Business School. She has a course she teaches there, and she's done some some studies on the psychology of communication. And it's it's okay to be an introvert. Actually, introverts make great conversationalists as long as it's one on one. It's in the group dynamic that things tend to you know go awry. And you know, I think for me, my perspective, one of the most important skills you can have as a conversationalist is to make sure that you're using your ears more than your lips. You want to be you want to be listening more than talking. So as an introvert, maybe that's right in your alley. If you're uncomfortable being the center of attention, it's make the other person the center of attention. But through that discourse, you're going to learn about them and they're going to learn about you because some of you is going to come out. And I'm the guy in the room that comes up to people like you just because I see you by yourself and I'm not going to let that happen. So I'm coming up and say, hey, I'm Clint. And you're like, oh, please go away. Right. I'm the guy on the plane that you've got your headphones on and I'm waiting for the chance to, to talk to you when they come off. So I think that understand if, if it's important to you to be a, a working member of the team, you're going to need some way up, some level of relationships. And it doesn't have to be disingenuous. I understand that there are people who as an engineer, I understand that perfectly that you want to go back to your cubicle and be left alone. But most of the work we do today in this world is going to be teamwork. And to be teamwork, we need to have some relationship between ourselves. And so I need to know a little bit about you, who you are, what you think. And the other thing is, if you're worried, hey, I'm not going to think like he does, that's okay. Is I just want to understand how you think. I'm not saying I agree with it. I just want to understand your position, how you think, so I'll understand you better. I'm the guy pretending that I got a phone call to break away from a guy like you. Let me ask finally, briefly, I know you have, and hopefully we can talk again when this comes out, but you have a book coming out with the title, How Teams Triumph, Managing by Commitment. What's the basic thesis of that? And then we can talk further about it at a later time, perhaps. The basic thesis is that most of the world today works in a matrix organization where the project manager doesn't actually own the people on her or his team. They work for their functional manager and are dotted line to your project, which means the only way, since I can't make you do the work, the only chance I've got to be successful in that kind of an organization is if you hold yourself accountable, which means I need to manage through commitment. I need you to be committed to the project, to the organization, to the group, to whatever the initiative is. And I can do that. I can be successful if you hold yourself to be accountable and that's managing through commitment. Because then that shows how other connections can be made and it gets the project done, which ultimately is the goal. Yeah. If you have everybody today has more work on their plate than they could possibly do. So which things are you going to take on? The ones that are easiest, the ones that you like, and the ones that you enjoy the people you work with. So if I'm the opposite, if I'm making you, if I'm holding you accountable for things you you haven't committed to, you're not going to work on it. Clint Paget of Project Success. His forthcoming book is called How Teams Triumph, Managing by Commitment. More at his website, clintonmpaget.com. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry is a supporter of the Iowa Business Report, radio program, and podcasts. The Iowa Business Report airs weekly on dozens of radio stations across the state of Iowa, with the podcast posted right here every week, along with additional IBR extras and IBR business profiles. I'm Jeff Stein for the Iowa Business Report.